Section 16 of The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 11, by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton. The Ninth Day of destiny, or that which is written on the forehead. Now when it was the ninth day, the wazirs met and said to one another, Verily, this youth baffleth us, for as often as the king is minded to kill him, he beguileth him and bewitcheth him with a story. So what be your read we should do, that we may slay him and be at rest from him? Then they advised together and agreed that they should go to the king's wife. So they betook themselves to her, and said to her, Thou art careless of this affair wherein thou art, and this uncare shall not profit thee. Whilst the king, occupied with eating and drinking and diversion, forgetteth that the folk beat upon tambourines and sing of thee, and say, The wife of the king loveth the youth, and as long as he abideth alive, the talk will increase and not diminish. Quoth she, By Allah, twas ye egged me on against him, and what shall I do now? And quoth they, Go thou into the king, and weep, and say to him, Verily, the women come to me, and inform me that I am dishonoured throughout the city, and what is thine advantage in the sparing of this youth? And thou wilt not slay him, slay me to the end that this talk may be cut off from us. So the woman arose, and rending her raiment, went in to the king, in the presence of the wazirs, and cast herself upon him, saying, O king! Is my shame not upon thee, or fearest thou not shame? Indeed, this is not the fashion of kings, that their jealousy over their women should be such as this. Thou art heedless, and all the folk of the realm prate of thee, men and women. Either slay him, that the talk may be cut off, or slay me, if thy soul will not consent to his slaughter. Thereupon the king's wrath waxed hot, and he said to her, I have no pleasure in his continuance, and needs must I slay him this very day. So return to thy palace, and solace thy heart. Then he bade fetch the youth, whereupon they brought him before him, and the wazir said, O base of base, fie upon thee! Thy life-term is at hand, and earth hungereth for thy flesh, so it may make a meal of it. But he said to them, Death is not in your word or in your envy. Nay, it is a destiny written upon the forehead. Wherefore, if aught be writ upon my front, there is no help but it come to pass, and neither striving nor thought-taking nor precaution-seeking shall deliver me therefrom, even as happened to King Ibrahim and his son. Quoth the king, Who was King Ibrahim, and who was his son? And quoth the youth, Hear, O king, the story of King Ibrahim and his son. There was once a king of the kings, Sultan Ibrahim Hight, to whom the sovereigns abased themselves, and did obedience. But he had no son, and was straitened of breast because of that, fearing lest the kingship go forth of his hand. He ceased not to long for a son, and to buy slave girls and lie with them, till one of them conceived, whereat he rejoiced with passing joy and gave great gifts and the largest largesse. When the girl's months were complete and the time of her lying in drew near, the king summoned the astrologers, and they watched for the hour of childbearing, 
and raised their astrolabes and carefully noted the time. The handmaid gave birth to a man-child, whereat the king rejoiced exceedingly, and the people congratulated one another with this glad news. Then the astrophils made their calculations and looked into his nativity and his ascendant, whereupon their color changed, and they were confounded. Quoth the king to them, Acquaint me with his horoscope, and ye shall have assurance of pardon, and have naught to fear. They replied, O king, this princely child's nativity denoteth that, in the seventh year of his age, there is fearful danger for him from a lion, which shall attempt to rend him, and if he be saved from the lion, there will betide a matter yet sorer and more grievous even than that. Asked the king, What is it? And they answered, We will not speak except the king command us and give us assurance from fear. Quoth the king, Allah assure you, and quoth they, An he be saved from the lion, the king's destruction shall be at his hand. When the king heard this, his complexion changed and his breast was straightened. But he said to himself, I will be watchful and do my endeavor and suffer not the lion to eat him. It cannot be that he will kill me, and indeed the astrologers lied. Then he caused rear him among the wet nurses and the noble matrons, but withal he ceased not to ponder the prediction of the astrophils, and verily his life was troubled. So he betook himself to the top of a high mountain, and hollowed there a deep excavation, and made in it many dwelling-places and rooms, and filled it with all that was needful of rations and raiment and what not else, and laid in it pipe-conduits of water from the mountains, and lodged the boy therein, with a nurse who should rear him. Moreover, at the first of each month he used to go to the mountain and stand at the mouth of the hollow, and let down a rope he had with him, and draw up the boy to him, and strain him to his bosom and kiss him and play with him a while, after which he would let him down again to his place and return, and he was wont to count the days till the seven years should pass by. Now when arrived the time of the fate foreordered, and the fortune graven on the forehead, and there remained for the boy but ten days till the seven years should be complete, there came to that mountain hunters chasing wild beasts, and, seeing a lion, they attacked him. He fled from them, and, seeking refuge in the mountain, fell into the hollow in its midst. The nurse saw him forthwith, and escaped from him into one of the chambers, upon which the lion made for the lad, and, seizing upon him, tear his shoulder, after which he sought the room wherein was the nurse, and, falling upon her, devoured her, whilst the boy lay in a swoon. Meanwhile, when the huntsmen saw that the lion had fallen into the pit, they came to the mouth and heard the shrieking of the boy and the woman, and after a while the cries died away, whereby they knew that the lion had slain them. Presently, as they stood by the mouth of the excavation, behold, the lion came scrambling up the sides and would have issued forth, but as often as he showed his head, they pelted him with stones, till they beat him down and he fell, whereupon one of the hunters descended into the pit and dispatched him, and saw the boy wounded, after which he went to the chamber, where he found the woman dead, and indeed the lion had eaten his fill of her. Then he noted that which was therein of clothes and what not else, and notifying his mates, fell to passing the stuff up to them. Lastly he took up the boy, and bringing him forth of the pit, carried him to their dwelling-place, where they dressed his wounds. He grew up with them, but acquainted them not with his affair, 
and indeed when they questioned him, he knew not what he should say, because they let him down into the pit when he was a little one. The hunters marveled at his speech, and loved him with exceeding love, and one of them took him to sun and abode, rearing him by his side and training him in hunting and horse-riding, till he reached the age of twelve and became a brave, going forth with the folk to the chase and to the cutting of the way. Now it chanced one day that they sallied forth to stop the road, and fell in with a caravan during the night, but its stout fellows were on their guard, so they joined battle with the robbers and overcame them and slew them, and the boy fell wounded and tarried cast down in that place till the morrow, when he opened his eyes and finding his comrade slain, lifted himself up and arose to walk the road. Presently there met him a man, a treasure-seeker, and asked him, Whither away, O lad? So he told him what had betided him, and the other said, Be of good heart, for that the tide of thy good fortune is come, and Allah bringeth thee joy and gladness. I am one who am in quest of a hidden treasure, wherein is a mighty mickle of wealth. So come with me that thou mayst help me, and I will give thee monies with which thou shalt provide thyself all thy life long. Then he carried the youth to his dwelling and dressed his wounds, and he tarried with him some days till he was rested, when the treasure-seeker took him and two beasts and all that he needed, and they fared on till they came to a towering highland. Here the man brought out a book, and reading therein, dug in the crest of the mountain five cubits deep, whereupon there appeared to him a stone. He pulled it up, and behold, it was a trap-door covering the mouth of a pit. So he waited till the foul air was come forth from the midst of the pit, when he bound a rope about the lad's middle and let him down bucket-wise to the bottom, and with him a lighted waxen taper. The boy looked and beheld at the upper end of the pit wealth abundant, so the treasure-seeker let down a rope and a basket, and the boy fell to filling and the man to drawing up, till the fellow had got his sufficiency, when he loaded his beasts and ceased working whilst the boy looked for him to let down the rope and draw him up. But he rolled a great stone to the mouth of the pit and went his ways. When the boy saw what the treasure-seeker had done with him, he relied upon Allah, extolled and exalted be he, and abode perplexed concerning his case, and said, How bitter be this death! For indeed the world was darkened on him, and the pit was blinded to him. So he fell a-weeping and saying, I escaped the lion and the robbers, and now is my death to be in this pit, where I shall die by slow degrees. And he abode perplexed, and looked for nothing but death. But as he stood pondering, behold, he heard a sound of water rushing with a thunderous noise. So he arose and walked in the pit, following the sound, till he came to a corner and heard the mighty coursing of water. Then he laid his ear to the sound of the current, and hearing it rushing in great strength, said to himself, This is the flowing of a mighty watercourse, and needs must I depart life in this place, be it today or tomorrow, so I will throw myself into the stream and not die a slow death in this pit. Thereupon he called up his courage, and gathering up his skirts, cast himself into the water, and it bore him along with force exceeding, and carrying him under the earth, stayed not till it brought him out into a deep wadi, adown which ran a great river that welled up from under the ground. When he found himself on the face of earth, he abode dazed and a swoon all that day, 
after which he came to himself, and, rising, fared on along that valley. And he ceased not his wayfare, praising Almighty Allah the while, till he came to an inhabited land and a great village in the reign of the king his sire. So he entered and foregathered with the villagers, who questioned him of his case, whereupon he told them his tale, and they admired how Allah had delivered him from all those dangers. Then he took up his abode with them, and they loved him much. On this wise happened it to him, but as regards the king his father, when he went to the pit, as was his wont, and called the nurse, she returned him no answer, whereat his breast was straitened, and he let down a man who found the woman dead and the boy gone, and acquainted therewith the king, who, when he heard this, buffeted his head and wept with sore weeping, and descended into the midst of the pit that he might see how the case stood. There he espied the nurse slain and the lion dead, but beheld not the boy. So he returned and acquainted the astrologers with the soothfastness of their saying, and they replied, O king, the lion hath eaten him, destiny hath been wroughten upon him, and thou art delivered from his hand. For, had he been saved from the lion, we indeed, by Allah, had feared for thee from him, because the king's destruction would have been at his hand. So the king ceased to sorrow for this, and the days passed by, and the affair was forgotten. Meanwhile, the boy grew up and abode with the people of the village, and when Allah willed the accomplishing of his commandment, which no endeavor availeth to avert, he went forth with a party of the villagers to cut the way. The folk complained to King Ibrahim his father, who sallied out with a company of his men and surrounded the highwaymen. Now that boy was with them, and he drew forth an arrow and launched it at them, and it smote the king and wounded him in a mortal place. So they carried him to his palace, after they had laid hands upon the youth and his comrades and brought them before the sovereign, saying, What biddest us to do with them? Quoth he, I am presently in trouble for myself, so bring me the astrologers. Accordingly, they brought them before him, and he said to them, Ye said to me, Thy death shall be by slaying at the hand of thy son. How then befalleth it that I have got my death hurt by yonder thieves? The astrologers marveled and said to him, O king, tis not beyond the lore of the stars, together with the doom of Allah, that he who hath smitten thee should be thy son. When King Ibrahim heard this, he bade fetch the thieves and said to them, Tell me truly, which of you shot the shaft that wounded me? Said they, "'Twas this youth that is with us. Whereupon the king fell to considering him and said, O youth, acquaint me with thy case and tell me who was thy father, and thou shalt have assurance of safety from Allah. The youth replied, O my lord, I know no father. As for me, my father lodged me in a pit with a nurse to rear me, and one day there fell in upon us a lion, which tear my shoulder, then left me and occupied himself with the nurse and rent her in pieces, and Allah vouchsafed me one who brought me forth the pit. Then he related to him all that had befallen him first and last, which when King Ibrahim heard, he cried out and said, By Allah, this is my son! Presently adding, Bear thy shoulder. So he uncovered it, and behold, it was scarred. Then the king assembled his lords and lieges and the astrologers and said to them, Know that what Allah hath writ upon the forehead, be it fair fortune or misfortune, none may efface. 
and all that is decreed to a man must perforce befall him. Indeed, this my caretaking and my endeavour profited me not, for what weird Allah decreed for my son, he hath dreed, and whatso he decreed to me, I have endured. Nevertheless, I praise Allah and thank him, because this was at my son's hand and not at the hand of another, and alhamdulillah, loud to the Lord, for that the kingdom is come to my son. And he strained the youth to his bosom and embraced him and kissed him, saying, O my son, this matter was after such fashion, and of my watchfulness over thee from fate I lodged thee in that pit, but caretaking availed not. Then he took the crown of the kingship and set it on his son's head, and caused the lieges and the people to do homage to him, and commanded the subjects to his care, and enjoined to him justice and equity. And he farewelled him that night, and died, and his son reigned in his stead. On like wise, O king, continued the young treasurer, tis with thee. If Allah have written aught on my forehead, needs must it befall me, and my speech to the king shall not avail me. No, nor my illustrating it to him with instances, against the doom of Allah. And so it is with these wazirs, for all their eagerness and endeavor for my destruction. This shall not profit them, because if Allah determined to save me, he will give me the victory over them. When the king heard these words, he became perplexed and said, Return him to the prison till the morrow, so we may look into his affair. For the day draweth to an end, and I mean to do him dead in foulest sort, and tomorrow we will visit him with that which he meriteth. End of section 16